you have a Bible, I invite you to turn tonight to the scripture passage in 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 13. I'll be reading verses 13 to 25. Again, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 to 25. And if I could ask you to please stand as we honor the reading of God's word. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded... Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in these last times for your sake, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God." Having purified your souls by the obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever." And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Let's pray together. Father, I take heart from the fighter verse. Have I not commanded you? As you get ready to preach, be strong. And courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God will be with you. I'll help you. I'll strengthen you. I'll hold you up with my victorious right hand. I never leave you. I never forsake you. And so I take heart, Lord, that you will assist me to speak of these holy and hugely important things concerning the new birth. Come, please, and help me. And if there is any hearing me who is not born again, would you pause as you walk by their grave and say, Live. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the unsettling things about the new birth is that it's not in our control to make happen. We don't control it. We don't decide to make it happen any more than a baby uh, decides to be conceived or decides to be born or to be more accurate 
we don't any more decide to be born again than a dead man decides to come to life. That's very unsettling for people. It's unsettling for me. The very reason that we need to be born again is that we can't make ourselves be born again. That's the reason we need to be born again. If we could make ourselves new, we'd be alive. We wouldn't need to be born again. The reason we need the new birth is because we're dead in our trespasses and sins. Our condition, apart from the new birth, is that if you're not born again, test yourself. See if this is not the case. And if, if you are born again, think back and test yourself to see if this was not the case. Our condition before we were born again was that we treasured sin and self-exaltation so much we could not treasure Christ supremely. Could not. In other words, we were so rebellious at the root of our fallen human nature that we couldn't find it within ourselves to humbly see him and savor him as the infinite treasure that he is. We couldn't. We just loved other things more. And we were guilty for this. It was and it is a real evil in us. This inability is blameworthy. We were so hard and so dead that we couldn't see him for who he is, love him for who he is, trust him for who he is, embrace him for who he is. We had all kinds of names for him and all kinds of feelings about him, but they were not of him as our supremely valuable Savior and Lord and treasure. Our consciences did not excuse us in that condition. We knew we were guilty. We felt it late at night or early in the morning or after the hangover. We knew we were guilty in our resistance to Christ as our supreme treasure. Our hardness was not an excusing hardness. It was a convicting hardness. In our best moments, we knew we were rejecting and pushing and resisting and walking away. And we felt guilty for it because we were guilty for it. So this kind of deadness and inability is not an excusing one. It's a heightening of our guilt, not a lessening of our guilt. Something had to happen to us. And the Bible has many names for it. We just happen to be talking about one of them, namely the new birth. We needed to be born again. The Holy Spirit has to work in our hearts to give us new spiritual life. We were dead and we needed to be made alive. About 220 of our teenagers are away right now and perhaps not sure the timing of it, but within the next hour or so, we'll probably be sitting under the preaching of the word by Kempton Turner. 
One of those kids was stone drunk on her parents' kitchen floor last weekend. One of those kids hates his dad and will say it to his face. One of those kids doesn't want to be in this church because his parents recently came here and drug him for another church. The needs at that meeting right now are extraordinary. So while I'm preaching and through the rest of this evening, ask that God would show up. God would show up and these teenagers come back aflame for God. In other words, there's dozens of them that need to be born again. The church kids have grown up, lots of them in this church. They need to be born again. Going to church doesn't make anybody a Christian. The Holy Spirit has to come down and take a heart and break it and heal it and open it and give it eyes and give it ears. So the spiritual things are precious now and not boring like they have been all these kids' lives. The way this happens, we saw in the last seven messages on the new birth, was that the Spirit of God supernaturally gives us new spiritual life by connecting us to the living Christ through faith. The Spirit of God gives us new life by connecting us with the source of life, Jesus Christ, through faith. There is no separating New birth and Christ and new birth and faith. Where there is new birth, there is faith. And where there is new birth, there is union with Jesus. There is no temporal distinction. When you light a match and fire happens, heat is there. Heat doesn't wait a few seconds and then show up. Neither does faith wait a few seconds and then show up in new life. The way we experience new life is, I believe. That's the sign God's done something. Before I wasn't believing, I wasn't treasuring, I wasn't loving, I wasn't embracing, I wasn't receiving. And now I am, something happened. And it was God that happened. God showed up. God changed something, and now you know it's of Him. One of the evidences of new birth is that you give Him glory, that you're a believer. You don't have any final explanation for it in yourself. All those years, He meant little or nothing to you. And then one day, might be very slowly that you discovered it, might be instantaneous that you discovered it, He's true, and He's real, and He's precious, and He's necessary, and we're on our faces thanking God that we've been born again. We have spent seven weeks posing two questions. Number one, what is it? And number two, why is it so needed? Now we're coming, as I said we would last week, to the third question. We'll be here uh, this, and then we're going to take a break to do Martin Luther King weekend and Sanctity of Life weekend, and then we'll come back to this. But we're starting the question, how does it happen? 
how? What's the way that it comes about, this miracle of the new birth? And if you think about it, there are, there are two questions in that. Question one is, how does it happen from God's side? That is, what's the way God acts in doing it? And the other is, how does it happen from my side? What's the way I do it? Those are the two questions we're going to, to pose. You might think, having heard me say that we don't control this thing, God does, and we're dead and we can't make it happen. We're absolutely dependent on his free and sovereign mercy and grace and love. You might think I, w- I wouldn't ask that second question. What is the way I do it? Or how am I involved in my new birth? But I, I am going to ask that question, and I'll, I'll give you a heads up. It's not the focus in this message, but it will be in three weeks. I pose that question because even though I don't make it happen, it happens to me and I act in it. Let me give you an example of what I mean. Lazarus was dead how many days before Jesus came? Four days before Jesus showed up. That's intentional. Jesus waited a couple of days to make sure he was manifestly, clearly dead and buried and impossible to save. And so he's in the grave. He's dead four days. And Jesus according to John 11.43, says this, Lazarus, come out. (laughs) That's ridiculous, right? Until you see Lazarus come out. And he came out. Now, what happened? Lazarus did not decide to make himself alive. The word spoken by Jesus created what it commanded. It commanded, come out. And in the speaking, this is the way God works. In the speaking, God makes what he commands. Which is why I prayed for some of you as I began. If there is any not born again here, as you walk by their grave in this service, would you pause and say, live. So he said that to Lazarus, live, and he lived. However, Lazarus got up. Jesus didn't get up for Lazarus. Jesus didn't walk for Lazarus. Jesus didn't breathe for Lazarus. He just said, live, and he lived. And after that, it's Lazarus walking, living, breathing, acting, So, the way to say it, I think, is that Christ causes it and Lazarus does it. Christ brings it about, Lazarus acts it out. Christ doesn't take our place in believing, loving, treasuring, delighting, living, leaping, He just 
awakens from the dead. Gives us everything it takes to do that. The instant Christ commands Lazarus to rise, Lazarus does the rising. The instant God gives life, we do the living. So, we've got questions before us. This question in this service is, what's God do? How does God do this? And then, three weeks, we'll take up, what do I do? So, in this text, 1 Peter 1, I'm going to go back to verse 3 and include that. I see three answers to the question, how does God do this? What does he do to cause us to be born again? And if you're not born again, you should listen to this because this is the way God makes it happen. Listening to the gospel. We'll we'll hear this in just a few minutes. Listening to the gospel, listening to this message is the way God causes people to be born again. So it says in verse 23. We are born again through the living and abiding word of God. This is the gospel which we preach. That's clear as bell. There are people who tonight, today, for those hearing this and watching it, will be born again. God willing. And those of you who are already born again, you listen too. Because my, my deep concern for this series of messages is that Christians awaken to what has happened to you and who you are. Because the level of life in Christ will rise remarkably if this church could see and hear and know at the roots of our beings what has happened to us. What God has done in history and in our hearts to bring us to the point where we are in the new birth. So here are the three things that I see, and then we'll take them one at a time. Number one, verse three. God caused us to be born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's number one. Number two, verse 23. God calls us to be born again through the living and abiding word of God. Or, as verse 15 says, God called us. John Piper, live! Number three, verse 18. God ransomed us from the futile ways inherited from our forefathers by the blood of Jesus. So those are the three ways that I see. And before we look at them in some detail, let me show you why I think they're linked together. Because you may wonder why I would include that third one, because the new birth isn't mentioned. Why are you including ransom here? So let me show you how these three things are, are linked Start with verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable. I'm going to stop right there and just fasten onto that word imperishable. The point of these two verses is that the effect of the new birth is a living hope. And so what you get mentioned in the verses then is a is a, a support for living hope. And one support is the resurrection of Jesus. And another support is this imperishable inheritance. If it were perishable, we wouldn't have a living hope. We'd have a hope that's going to run out, going to perish. So it's not living hope. It's going to perish, it's going to leave us high and dry someday. And so he's underlining, you're getting started with the resurrection of Jesus, life, indomitable, conquering death, and the hope, the inheritance that you have out there will never perish. That's what you are born again to enjoy. It's like saying the life we receive in the new birth is not just new life, it's forever life. It's eternal life. That's what we get in the new birth. If you're born again, you have a life and an inheritance imperishable should make you the most bold, courageous, risk-taking people on the planet. So that's number one. And I'm drawing attention to the imperishable word and hope and eternal life as the fruit of the new birth. Now let's go to verses 18 and 19. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers... So something's changed here. Something's happened. He doesn't call it the new birth, but he's talking about the new birth in verse 3. He's talking about the new birth in verse 23. And here, something happened, and all my old ways that I got from my tradition, they're gone. And I'm different. Let me start over again. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, now here's how it happened. Not with Perishable. Now, I'm fastening on to that word again because it's showing up three times in this chapter and it's not an accident. Not with perishable things such as silver and gold, you know, mere silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without spot. So the ransom price that is paid for what happened to liberate you from the old ways was the blood of Jesus. And it's way more valuable than gold and way more valuable than silver. They can be burned up. You get a fire hot enough, they're gone. But the blood of Jesus, so infinitely valuable, way better than gold, way better than silver, they will never perish and therefore what do they guarantee? Life forever. This change that has happened never goes bad. Never goes bad. It'll always be there and you will live forever in him because of the ransom that was paid for you. So now we got resurrection of Jesus in verse 3 underneath this living hope that we get by the new birth. And here we've got ransom by the blood of Jesus underneath this change that frees us from all these old destructive ways. Now, number 3, verse 23. Since you have been born again, 
not of perishable. Third time. You got it now? That's what, in my mind, that's what's holding, that's why this sermon is structured the way it is. That's why I picked these three things. Verse 3, verse 18, verse 23, all have this not perishable idea. He just keeps coming back to it. Why? Because we're born again to a living hope. We're born again by resurrection. We're born again with, with blood that's so valuable that it'll never let us down. And here now in verse 23, we're born again, not of perishable seed. In his mind, I think, is the sexual act and the seed deposited and a conception happens and a new being comes into existence, new creature in Christ. Now, Now, what is that? What's this seed? How is it put in us? Through the living and abiding word of God. Through the living and abiding word of God. Then he quotes Isaiah 40, verses 6 and 8. Verses 24 and 25 in 1 Peter 1. For all flesh is like grass, all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls. So he's drawing the contrast between what you don't want. I don't want to be born to a life that's going to be like a flower. Flowers are pretty and they die. I don't want that beauty. That's the beauty everybody in the world is after. Thank you very much. I don't want it. I want to live with him forever. Have you got news for me, Peter? And so he's drawing a contrast between all the beauties and the glories of the world. And he's saying they're just like flowers. They fall. But, verse 25, but the word of God, the word of the Lord remains forever. And remember, he just said it was through that that you were born again. So we got the same point in verse 3, the same point in verse 18, the same point in verses 23 and 25. Namely, the new birth is undergirded by realities that don't let you down. Ever. Ever. Resurrection of Jesus. Ransom blood, infinitely valuable. Word of God that never falls. These are the foundations through which the new birth came to us. So if you ask the question, how did God do this? Now you got three answers. So let's go back now. All that was just to show you, why'd you choose these three? And the answer was because they're all this imperishable idea. That's just holding these three together. That's just holding this chapter together. The gifts God has for us in the new birth are irrevocable gifts. They will not let you down. It's not like your first birth. I'm so thankful. I'm getting old. I can't hear as well. I can't see as well. My hair's falling out. My back aches. I am getting old. But my new life in Christ is being renewed every day. I am ripening to be plucked and put in heaven for infinite and ever-increasing joy. And I feel so bad. People in my neighborhood and the people who come to this church who are also getting old and they have no hope. And they're trying to cover their age in every possible way and find the fountain of youth to just stretch it out another decade. And I'm saying, let it go. Don't bring me back, please. Okay, now we want to take them one at a time and unpack them a little more fully. Number one, 
I'm going to take them not in the order they come in the text, but in the order they happen in history. Number one, God ransomed us by the blood of Christ. Let's read verse 18 again. You were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. The point here is very simply that the new birth, this change that liberates us from these old ways, this slavery implies, or the ransom implies that, that we had a slavery. You don't, you don't pay a ransom, that's the word, you don't pay a ransom for somebody who's not in captivity. Somebody's got you. And a, and a ransom is, is required. And then liberty can happen. And that's what the picture is here. We were under the wrath of God because of these ways. We're children of wrath. And God required in his justice that there be punishment. And Jesus, it says, and I mean, he said in Mark 10, 45, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And so God ordained that he would send his Son into the world and that his Son, we've been singing our hearts out about it, his son would bear the wrath, bear the punishment. That is absolutely indispensable to the new birth because you cannot justly give a dyed-in-the-wool, unforgiven sinner the gift of everlasting life in the presence of God. You can't do that. But you can if Christ paid the ransom and removed their guilt and removed the wrath and removed their sin. Then God is free and he's the one who freed himself in doing this to pour his spirit into the hearts of people who are forgiven because of the ransom. So. The gift of eternal life, not just new life, is because of a ransom that was paid. The blood of Christ is infinitely valuable and will never lose its ransoming power, which is why the new life we have in the new birth lasts forever. Number two, God raised Jesus from the dead. Three and four. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and kept in heaven for you. Born again through the resurrection. So in the first case, we are born again because we have a purchase ransom underneath, sustaining God's merciful grace and making it just for him to do this for sinners like us, because there's a ransom being paid. And so the new birth can graciously and mercifully happen to sinners, undeserving sinners who are dead. And now we've got resurrection over here holding up the gift of eternal life, because you not only have to solve a legal problem, all this guilt over here, you have to solve the what should we call it, the, uh, 
the, the death problem that if I'm going to live forever, it's got to be rooted in the conquering of death. And Jesus conquers death by rising from the dead. And then as I'm united to him in the new birth, I get his life, which he has through the new through, through the resurrection. I, I clarified. I can't remember which sermon it was, but somewhere back there I said, It's not just union with the eternal Son of God that gets you new birth. It's union with the incarnate, risen, crucified, reigning Christ that gets you the new birth. Our new life flows from the risen Christ who paid our debt and who conquered death. That's what we have to be united to in order to have life, his life, the death-conquering life that he has through the resurrection. So that's the second way that God has brought our new birth about. Here's the third and final way. I'm going to use a word I haven't used yet in the three that I mentioned. Third, he called us. Now, I focused on verse 23. He calls us to be born again through the living and abiding word of God. I'm going to... I'm going to Go there through this word. So first, he ransomed us. Second, he raised us from the dead. Third, he called us. Now let's read verses 14 and 15. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Referring again to the change that's happened. Once they lived a life when they were spiritually blind and ignorant about all the glories of Christ, they're not that way anymore. So now bring your lives into conformity to your true condition. Don't live according to your former ignorance. But as he who called you, that's what happened, is holy, you now be holy in all your conduct. So if you want to draw the line between the old you and the new you, you can do it with new birth, that word, or you can do it with, he called me. He called me. Now, to understand how that relates to the new birth, we need to make some distinctions. This calling that distinguishes the old you From the new you, the way of ignorance, the former ways inherited from your fathers, and the new you, resisting that, fighting that, drawing down the spiritual power, loving Christ, living in Christ, depending on Christ. What divides the line there, and it's a very clear line, though most of you don't remember when it happened. That's okay, not a problem. I'll talk about that later. There's a clear line in God's mind where that happened. And the line is, he called you. He said, live. Now, that's what I mean by call. But for you to understand that, I think we need to make some distinctions because that call happens through the living and abiding word of God, which is the gospel that I'm preaching. What I'm saying right now is not that call. When I say, believe, live, awaken, it may or may not become that call. I'm not God. My words are not God. 
But God is pleased through human voices to do an internal call through an external word. Now, that's what I want you to see. That's the distinction I want you to make in the next final few minutes. Look at verses 23 to 25. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. And then at the end of verse 25, he defines that living and abiding word of God. He says, this is the good news that was preached to you. So this is what I'm doing right now. I'm preaching good news. I'm doing verse 25 and 23. What God is doing in this room, I don't know yet. But I'm doing what I'm called to do. And you're doing, I hope, what you're called to do. Listening, praying, examining, following. The question is, how many people are here? 600 maybe, 500? Everybody, unless there's somebody asleep somewhere, is hearing what I'm saying. Hearing this general call. Awake, believe, embrace, live. You're hearing this. And the question is, why do some hear it and love it? Preach on. Say more good things about my Jesus. Love it. Can't get enough of it. And others, God, when are we going to get out of here? Why? Why? Because God calls some. He says to some, live. Born again through the gospel. Lazarus, come out. Lazarus didn't say, I don't think so. Because when the internal call happens, it creates what it commands. If God says live, you live. And your life is manifest in many things. Faith is the first. So you have the general external call that I'm issuing right now, and you have the internal effective call of God that creates what it commands. Now, if you'd like to see this, the clearest place in the New Testament where this distinction is made is in 1 Corinthians 1. I invite you to go there with me. We're almost done. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and I pray that all of you who are born of God will be praying right now that God would be not just helping me preach, but in and through these words, awakening the dead. 1 Corinthians 1, 22 to 24. Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, 
and the wisdom of God. Now think hard for one minute about that verse, those two verses, or 23 and 24. The gospel is being preached by Paul, just like I'm doing now. He said, Christ crucified, I spent five minutes on the ransom. I'm preaching Christ crucified here and risen, coming in power. Now, he says two groups of people, he's, Gentiles and Jews, were hearing what he preached. And by and large, it was foolishness to one group and a stumbling block to another group. So nobody was getting saved. They just heard it and it was, thank you very much, that's ridiculous, or you can't have a crucified king. You just can't have a crucified Messiah. It just doesn't work. It shatters the stereotypes and all the, it just doesn't work. So it, we, they stumble over it. Then the Greeks say baloney. That just is so foolish. But, and then look at the rest. There are some of those Gentiles and some of those Jews who say, Christ is the power of God. Christ is the wisdom of God. And what's the difference? Answer, those who are called say Christ, the power of God. So the first call is the general external call of Paul on Areopagus or wherever, or me here in this room and on this video saying, Christ is great. Christ is glorious. Christ is sufficient. He paid a ransom. He rose from the dead. He offers life. Believe. That's, that's the gospel. And some say, no. And others say, power of God, wisdom of God. And the difference is whether in and through these words, the Spirit of God is saying, to you, live. And if he does, you will live. Which is why he gets all the glory. I don't. I cannot make that happen. I'm absolutely helpless. I'm desperate when I come to this pulpit. We meet for 30 minutes downstairs not to flap our lips, but to say, God, I can't do anything here. We can have a club here. But I can't make this happen. This is the miracle of Lazarus come forth. So the third thing to say after ransom and resurrection is call or new birth. They're the same, same event, just two way of talking about the same thing. The inner, powerful, effective irresistible call of God that makes you a believer. Or you can call it new birth. So I close. Believer, most of you are that. I do believe. Thank God for it. Who else would you thank? Believer, know what has happened to you. Know what God has done for you. God sent his son to ransom you with infinite cost. The blood of the son of God paid a ransom so that sinners could be born again. Number two, 
God raised Jesus from the dead, didn't leave him in the, in the grave. If he, if he were in the grave, we wouldn't be born again because you're born again to a living hope. You're born again to new life. And if he had no new life in him because he's lying in the grave, then we would be attached to him and we'd be where he is. But we are attached to him and he's not in the grave. He's alive and we're alive because he's alive. That's what he's done for us. Our lives are hidden with him in heaven, Paul says. And thirdly, somewhere in your background, I was six. I don't remember it. My mother told me it happened. (laughs) I trust her. Somewhere you were listening to radio, you were reading a track, you were at a Billy Graham crusade, you were at your mother's knee, you were sitting on the sofa in the living room, you were at a church meeting, you were at a Bible study in college, somewhere. And you, he ceased to be a stumbling block. He ceased to be foolishness. He, he was power. He was wisdom. You couldn't get enough of him. You wanted to read your Bible. You wanted to go to church. You wanted to be around people who talked about him. You wanted to know more. Something happened. And now I'm just trying to help you love what's happened to you. You were born again. You were called. And we should spend the rest of eternity thanking him for that. And and I might just say one other thing to believers. And unbelievers, listen carefully because it can be yours. If you walk through some trials, and you will soon, and you turn again to Romans 8, 28, right? I hope you don't ever make fun of Romans 8, 28 because it's worn out. It's glory. So you turn to Romans 8, 28. I hope that after this sermon, it will have an unusual pop. Because it says, all things work together for good for those who love God and are If you're born again, that is called, everything works for your good. If you're an unbeliever, I'm offering that to you. I would simply close by saying, while you have life and while there is gospel in the planet, on the planet, the arms of Jesus are extended to you. Come. Believe, awaken, see that I am the power of God and the wisdom of God. There are, at all three campuses, response boxes at the doors. And you could take any old piece of paper, you know, if you want to do it like this, you know, just do it like that. And put your name on there with an email or a phone number. And say, I think I'm born again. I'm not sure. I'd like to talk to somebody. Or I'm not and I want to talk to somebody. If you do that and put it in there, Fred and the others who work with him make every effort to be in touch with you within 24 hours. So 24 hours from tomorrow. Just know that opportunity is there on all three campuses. Let's pray. Father, I confess to being an imperfect preacher in love with a perfect gospel and a perfect Christ. And I believe that you are here in these services and I pray that you would move in power and that some 
would date their awakening. They're walking out of the grave of cynicism and doubt into the light of life. So, speak, Lord, with your powerful live. It's a wonderful thing that you have done for us. And we thank you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.